Hi, and welcome to Terra.2's Climate Podcast. Focusing on developing countries, we hope to cover a range of issues relating to climate change, development, food security, conservation, and many more. Today's guest is Yale Subayan. She has completed her degree in industrial biotechnology from Anna University, Chennai, and then went on to do a PhD in molecular biology and biochemistry from Oregon Health and Sciences in Portland. Twelve years in the Bay Area as part of the biotechnology industry led to her starting up her own company. She is a CEO of String Bio, a company that leverages methane produced from waste or natural sources to create next-generation raw materials that are sustainable and traceable. I'm Kiti Manyan, and I'll be your host for today. Hi, A. Welcome to our show. Can you take us through your career arc? Our listeners would love to know more about where your drive comes from. Hi, Kriti. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, really interesting to find out about the work that you guys are doing at Terra.Two. So let me start with my most recent, right, the work that we're doing at Stream. Some of the most exciting and I want to say mentally challenging work that I'm doing is actually what's going on at Stream right now. And we'll get into the details of the work itself. Before Stream, you know, did a lot of early stage technology development at three very interesting companies, all based out of the US. One was a company called Jibo, and another was a company called Codexis. Another was another synthetic biology company called Intrexon. And all three places started with early stage technology development, building teams, and also started to learn more about the business aspects of taking new and habit-changing products to market. Right? And that very interesting phase, and that's what kind of led me to founding String itself. Before that, you know, very interestingly, did my undergrad in India in biotech. And why I chose biotech was in a very naive way, something somewhere said, you know, I wanted to work at the intersection of biology and engineering. And you know that the Indian schooling system doesn't really prepare you very well for it. But it just happened to be that biotech and the whole thing about biotech came into my ecosystem around the time that I was starting off college. So got me started and, you know, I've been at it for more than 20 years now. How is it being a woman at the helm of a startup? I would imagine that brings its fair share of challenges too. Can you talk more about this, please? You know, I get asked this question all the time and I may sound very, very insensitive when I say it, but the fortunate thing that happened for me is, you know, I was born in a household where there were no limitations because you were a woman, right? So I am one of three daughters and my mom is a doctor and a lot of very strong women in my family. And growing up, there was nothing that I was said no for, you know, if I wanted to drive a bike or there was no limitations put on me because of my gender. And I think that kind of is my mindset today. So inherently, when I see a wall, I only think about how to get around it, right? So in me, I don't see the limitations, right? But that being said, being a woman, a lot of challenges, right? Think yeah. about it. It's 2020 and we're talking about white and black in one of the most advanced countries in the world today. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. So, I mean, if you think about it, the white male is at the top of the ladder, and probably being a brown woman is at the bottom of the totem pole, right? So, are there challenges? I think there always is, but I think it's about the mindset, and you know, we as a society raising a voice around it. You know, on the positive side, I'm sure you've heard, right, uh, Dr. Kiran. Mazumdar Shah just won the Entrepreneur of the Year Global Award, right? And the first woman from India to do so. So there are challenges, but I think you have to look at life on the positive side and I think raise your voice against what can be broken. I have to say the fight continues, Kriti. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So moving on now to, you know, your work at Strict Bio, uh, can you tell us more about that? And would you call yourselves market ready in that sense? Yes, we are market ready. And, you know, very importantly, I have to say that market is ready for us. And I'll tell you why, right? At String, what we do is we've got a biology place, a based platform, right? So this is use biological cells to convert a very difficult substrate, which is methane gas, into a number of different value-added products. So that's kind of the core work we do. And all the tools that we've developed around it, right? The biology tools, the engineering tools, the fermentation tools, the chemistry tools, we call it string integrated methane platform, right? And these tools allow us to convert methane into a wide range of products. The first right. product that we are scaling and taking to market is an alternative protein for the feed and food industry. The reason why I say we are market ready and the market is ready for us is just the change going on in the world around us today. Six years back, when we started this, the conversations with the stakeholders that we were talking to was very different. It was always like, you know, I mean, you want to make what from what? Today, we have folks reach out to us and they're like, tell me, how is the protein made? What is the composition of amino acids? How much is your lysine content? I mean, it's more in depth. The market is very aware. And just in the last year and a half, there are so many other players who are jumping into this as well. So I want to say we are very much ready for the market. But very fortunate for us, I think the timing is also right and the market is very ready for us. Uh, and I think that's a key point. Yeah, I like this distinction that you made, that you're saying that the market is ready. I mean, it has evolved considerably. And you're very right. Six years ago, if you had told me about what you're making, I would have been astonished. How is there a market for this? And now I, I we have reached such a point in time that I can actually say, yes, this works and it will work very, very well. I think that's fabulous. It's really, really great, like how the market itself has evolved to this point. So I love this write-up in the mint for March, I think, where you got discussed as a microbrewery of sorts. Can you take us through the key challenges the company is facing and how do you plan to deal with them? So microbrewery, right? That's the simplest way for us to explain what we're doing. Because given particularly the fact that we're in Bangalore, a lot of people just relate to that image when you tell them, Think of those tanks that you see in a microbrewery. Our setup is very similar. It's that we are kind of uh, putting methane through it and making some very interesting molecules on the other side. We kind of alluded to it, right? Your six years back, our challenges were different. Today, our challenge is different. Like six years back, it was convincing folks about the fact that this was a technology that needed to be developed. 
And the other challenge is also the fact that our work kind of traverses multiple industries, right? So we are working with gas, which is typically a lot of times uh, government plays a big role when you're talking about natural gas or even biogas. We're talking about food and feed. Again, you are talking about the customer and the farmer, but you know, you also have regulatory bodies there. So when we talk to, for example, the oil and gas players, right, they don't understand the food space as well. And sometimes even want to understand the food space. When we talk to the food industry, they don't want to understand about the gas aspects. And then now we have, you're saying, oh, we're using biology and, you know, all this fermentation process in between. And that requires talking to a whole bunch of different stakeholders. I would put it very simply, right? I mean, See, if you look at the industries as such, I want to say that a lot of folks follow trends, right? There are very few players who are able to see the larger vision, right, and kind of support change. And our challenge has been connecting with those leaders in the ecosystem, right? Right, Whether it's on the gas side, the regulatory side, the customer side, the consumer side, it's about connecting the dots and connecting the links with the leaders so that we can bring about changes and take products like this into market that are more sustainable, more traceable. It's what the society needs. It's what the consumer needs. But we need to work with the leaders to be able to make that shift. And I want to say that's been one of our challenges. Right. You talked a lot about regulatory bodies. So what role does politics and policy play in how your company is evolving? Or has evolved? Interesting. I mean, you're in the climate space, (laughs) right? (laughs) People's will is one side. I mean, we are really in very interesting times right now, right? At one end, you're talking about virus and why we didn't spend more on research worldwide, right? And on the other side, you're talking about just simple black-white differences and how to bring about changes in how things are made and governed, right? So policy plays a huge role in just enabling technologies like this. But again, like I said, I think it is a great time to be string right now because I think there is a lot of change globally. Just in the last year, I think we are kind of receiving jolts because of what impact uh, life as we lived it had on the environment around us, right? I mean, we started this year with bushfires in Australia, and now we're talking about locust swarms in North India. And, you know, I think we've been saying or hearing all along that if we don't do something about environment, if we don't do something about resource efficiency, we will see unpredictability in living. And I think 2020 has kind of really given us a jolt with that. So policy does play a huge role. You know, I'm hoping that the conversations that was happening around the Paris climate change become stronger, right? And more and more countries follow the trend of governments like, you know, New Zealand and other parts where sustainability is kind of brought to the forefront. In India, if you see one of the big changes that COVID has brought and that is very exciting for us is uh, India as a government is starting to enable more localized manufacturing, right? So we are realizing that we cannot have uh, supply chains where 
The smallest jolt to the supply chain impacts food availability and food supply and uh, healthcare supply. So I think the government is coming up with policies where they can really push forward localized manufacturing. And this is something that uh, strings technology really plays into because we believe that you cannot have systems where you have a single manufacturing in one place and then that gets shipped across the world globally. You need to have yeah. kind of localized manufacturing and I don't mean in a nationalistic way. I mean in you know localized geography. Suppose you manufacture in India, needs to support India, Southeast Asia, right? But for US, maybe you need to have a localized manufacturing there that can support the Americas. Um, and I think yeah. Indian government policies in that space will be a big boost for us. Ours is CapEx heavy, right? We will need to set up the manufacturing facilities. And we're hoping that the new policies that the government is putting in place will really help us that way. Right. I hope so too. You brought up food security, food systems. So the World Economic Forum is estimating that by 2050, global food systems will have to meet their dietary demands of more than 10 billion people. That's a lot of people we're talking about. So where do you see the future of what you're currently building? I mean, you brought up this thing we're saying, you know, six years ago, how the market was. We're talking about impossible foods booming. So many options now in that kind of space. Is it possible to say human consumption of this protein could soon be on the menu? I think so. When we started this work, we said one challenge at a time. So we were talking about a microbial protein made using methane and going into, you know, as an alternative protein source. We wanted to start with the feed market because there are already examples there of these kind of proteins. Right. Right. But today, as you rightly talked about Impossible Foods, Beyond Meat and other players, the market for food is also ready. We are in conversations, we're talking about uh, fermentated protein, we're talking about cell-based agriculture. And I think the market is definitely changed. And see, for us, our product is actually also ready for the food market. We're waiting for the regulatory bodies to get on board with that. And I think right now, that change we are seeing where, you know, we've had regulatory approval for new kinds of proteins, for fermented proteins coming from, you know, fungal-based systems, mushroom-based systems coming into the food market. I think the regulatory market for microbial protein coming into the food sector is definitely in the future, right? Or is here now, I have to say. And, you know, our product is also ready for that space as well. So I actually see it coming into the food market sooner than later, Prithi. Right. So this point you mentioned about regulatory systems, do you think sometimes like tech goes way too far ahead of what the law is actually is, basically? You're saying like uh, tech is moving so far ahead and it's taking giant leaps. And then there's a process, right? You're saying, okay, the law has to do this and then, you know, some committee that sits, et cetera, et cetera. So that takes time. So do you think that that gap kind of needs to be bridged where tech and law kind of come together and are on the same page and say, okay, you know, we can get this going the next year, so to speak? Yeah, that's a very interesting question. I don't think that will happen. Unfortunately. <laughs> Just, I mean, we talked about, you know, leaders and followers. 
I think the way yeah. uh, law and regulatory works is it has to cater to the majority, right? And technology leads with you know the innovators, the early adopters. Once we have enough people on board, then the regulatory body has to change, right? Because now the market is demanding it, the consumers are demanding it, and they know that it will be safe because now when they make that law, it is more readily accepted. Right. So unfortunately, you know, I wish they would go hand in hand, but I think that cycle is just going to be led by technology and laws going to follow, and we can keep fighting this battle and say law needs to change faster. Today, if you ask me, right, from a regulatory point, what I would suggest we have is really we're asking for better clarity, right? We are saying, okay, look, I have this protein, I want to bring it into the food market. Now tell me what is the process I need to follow, right? In some ecosystems, it's very clear. They lay out the kind of tests. Here's the safety standards. Here's what you need to do. And if you meet all this, then you can work with the regulatory bodies to make the change. Oftentimes, the challenge that I find personally is the clarity or the lack of it, right? Because no one is trying to shortchange the system we want to really know what it takes to bring this about where you have innovators and leaders the clarity is there where you have followers they're kind of waiting for the other system to make the change and then what you hear is okay once they make the change we will just follow suit because we'll be fine then yeah safety yeah, numbers safety numbers so that needs to change but yeah, I think technology often, I mean, we have to take the lead and then convince folks that this is safe, there's no harm in it, and this is something that is very much needed because of where we are. See, so far, we whether it's making food, whether it's making polymers, whether it's making agricultural inputs, right, we made it in such a way where the toll on the environment was very high, right? Today, what we're trying to say is, look, we need technologies where the toll is less or, you know, oftentimes it needs to be negative because we need to reverse what we have done to the ecosystem. Is the system reversible? I think so. And just the last three months has been huge proof that once we lower this toll on the ecosystem around us, you know, nature will come back, right? We've mm. seen animals coming back to ecosystems where they haven't been seen in the last 10 years just because human activity stopped for like two months. So it is reversible, but we really need to make sure that the toll is lessened. And, you know, I mean, with strings technology, that's all we're trying to do. We're saying, you know, there are more sustainable ways for us to make the same things that we as a society require. We require food, we require feed, we require better qualities of living. Great, but let's figure out how to do that in a more sustainable way without compromising on quality of product while it still makes economic sense to do things our way. That's all we're saying. When you talk about alternative proteins, you're talking about a fundamental shift, right? You're saying you're going to move from agriculture to science to provide food. I'm curious about how a regular person processes this. And have you had any kind of interaction like this? And we would love for your examples. Yeah, five years back, the conversations were very different. Today, the conversation is different. I think folks like Impossible Foods coming into the market has made a big change to the ecosystem, right? You're selling a plant-based 
beef burger in Texas and it's one of the hot products on the menu. So much easier conversation to make. See, for us, I think when we talk to most folks is we are talking about our product. We are talking about the equivalency of the product, right? For example, if I'm talking to a farmer that today uses fish meal in their aquatic systems and we are talking mm-hmm. about using a microbial protein, we are comparing the physical characteristics, the chemical composition of the product itself, and that is what the conversation is about. And today, we've done the validation studies in aquatic systems and poultry, so we are able to tell them that, you know, if you replace X with Y, then your performance is actually better. So that's that's kind of the leading line to the conversation. You know, oftentimes I have to say, as long as you're talking about the product and the performance of the product, then people are more open to change, right? We are not talking about the fact that this came from methane and we've got a fermentation process and this is how we make it because that is a very confusing conversation for them. If you're an iPhone user, right, all you want to do is how to operate your iPhone. You don't want to learn about what are the chips that went to it, where did they get manufactured, what is the supply chain like, how many components, right? If you're talking about that, you have to talk that only with a technical person. Today, as I said, we are market ready. So our conversations about the product and the performance of the product. And when when you talk about it in that language, then I have to say that it is an easier conversation to have. You know, I mean, particularly, let's say, for example, one of our products, it's going into the feed market. And what are the biggest challenges for them in the feed market today? Today, when they talk about some of the raw materials or ingredients that you're getting, particularly for protein, there is a lot of inconsistency in the product that they're getting, right? So does it have a lot of pesticides? Does it have high bacterial contamination? And the other challenge that the aquaculture and, you know, the animal farming sector is facing is because of the high density in the farms, there are disease challenges. And our products that we're bringing in kind of caters to this. It's more consistent. It's safe because there's traceability. How we manufacture this protein is very different from a soybean that is grown in a farm. But because of the way that we're making it, there is safety in the product, right? And we are able to show the performance of this product vis-a-vis some of the other raw materials. So when it's that conversation, I have to say that the market is ready to test and try, right? So the farmer is saying, okay, give me your sample, let me test it. And for them, as long as the performance works and their challenges are addressed, right? Their performance challenge, yeah. their disease challenge addressed, then your adoption happens instantly, actually. I like how you're shaping this narrative, I think. It would be a hard concept, as you said, for any layman to understand about what is it that he's actually eating. So if you're able to shape the narrative and say, this addresses your problem and it solves any challenges you face, I think it's it's a great way to get your product across the, and to the market, which is absolutely, as you said, ready, right? So talking on the concept of narrative itself, do you think tech has played a role in shaping the sustainability, food security narrative globally on India? And what more should be done? I think yes, right? Most definitely yes. Tech always shapes the narrative. I feel like, interestingly, right, just in our times, if you think about it, we moved from making materials using chemistries to starting to make using biology, right? You moved mm. from your traditional kind of 
phones and having one landline on a street to having multiple ways to interact with others. So I think tech definitely influences the narrative here. I think globally in a big way. I think in India, see globally when we talk about certain ecosystems, right, Prithi, it's the conversation has been more on technology, like what we talked about, technology, efficiency, environment, sustainability. And in other ecosystems, the conversation is very different. The conversation is always around cost, right? What is the cost of production? Is Does the economics work out? What is the profit that I will be getting? That So I think for us as technologists, I think it's very key that we cater to both ends of the spectrum. And really, I think that as a business and that as an entrepreneur, something that we really want to do is we want to talk about technology and we want to talk about all the benefits that the technology can bring. We also want to be talking about the economics of trying to make this change. See, at the end of the day, when we talk about all the benefits of technology, we are talking to a very small percentage of the global population. A large percentage of the global population is still in the conversation. The key factor is cost, right? And then comes the benefits of technology. For us, it's about uh, being able to bridge the gap. If technology can do that and where technologies have done that, I think the adoption is much easier. So 2020 has been an interesting year, to say the least. Do you think people's consumption patterns, lifestyles would change in a post-COVID world? Or do you think we'll all go back to our quote-unquote regular lives? (laughs) That's a really tough question to answer. (laughs) (laughs) For two, two and a half months, no help at home, right? You're washing dishes and you're trying to cook. And while on the positive side, you came to realize that how relatively easy it is to make really healthy food at home. On the downside, you did miss having that additional help. I want to say and I want to think that I think this will change how we view things because I think it's been a jolt for us. You know, we were all very comfortably living lives a certain way. And I think this is really like woken us up and showed how we were taking some things really for granted, right? I mean, in the ecosystems where I am, Kriti, I hear a lot of conversations about people really coming to appreciate the small things. I believe that the change will stay, that people's will will again go ahead and influence political will in this case. And I think this change will will come to stay. I really, really do hope so. (laughs) (laughs) I am really worried though. I I personally think because I remember I had this conversation with Pani Nagendra as well. It's the same concept, right? We have such a short attention span. Yeah. And we forget very easily and we're prone to that. So I worry that while I might bond and my cohort of people, family, friends might want to, it might not necessarily be the same thing for the larger population. So touch wood on that. Yeah, <laughs> really, really very touch true. And just even social distancing, right? For uh, the first couple of weeks, we were all very good about it. Now, I mean, in India, social distancing is tough. When you're standing in line, you just want to get on the bus, right? So you see people crowding. But yeah, I really hope that we remember these three, four months or six months. You know, I mean, this year is definitely interesting. For sure, go down in history books. Yeah, absolutely. 
So my last question, we always ask for a call to action for our listeners. What would you like to leave our listeners with as last words? I think the first thing is, you know, stay safe, stay healthy. What I would like to leave us with is, you know, as we were just talking about, I think we were all running this massive race and we kind of received a jolt, right? A bump on the road and hopefully it's just a bump. And I think this would be a good time for us to course correct and really pay attention to how we treat the climate and world around us, where our food comes from, how we use our food, how we grow our food, right? And very importantly, how we use the resources, right? Just think about resource efficiencies when we are, you know, manufacturing, using things. So I think for us, my call would be to let's course correct and really pay attention to things that can have a huge impact on life. Thank you so much, Ail. I've had a brilliant time talking with you and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me.